want you to take a look in your Bible to the book of Luke this morning, the book of Luke chapter number 12. And I, 70, 76, 77, 85, 110, I have no idea how old I am. But I discovered a new disease the other day watching television. Of course, now everything is a disease. And uh, the news had reported that a young man had gotten drunk and uh, was driving his automobile and he killed four innocent people as a result of being drunk driving the automobile. And uh, they arraigned him to court and he went to court and they let him go scot-free because he was, uh, had that terrible disease of influenza. He had been spoiled so much the judge and the jury decided that he did not have the capacity to know and to judge from right and wrong. Fluenza. Do you think maybe some of us might have that? Has God been good to us? Does he realize how much we appreciate it? I just thought I'd drop by today and preach to you on this new disease that I've discovered that folk have. Fluenza. Or maybe I could say the folly of foolish living. You say, this is Sunday morning. Well, this is the only time you'll be here. And so I thought I'd just get you while you're here and help you while I can. Luke chapter number 12. And our Lord is preaching and had been teaching And he's covered every subject you can imagine. And he's teaching the disciples. And suddenly one of the disciples says in verse 13, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. In other words, what I have been left is not enough. I'd like to have part of my brothers also. And he said unto him, Man who made me a judge or a divider over you. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then to illustrate that point, verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. 
And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's a reality TV program for sure. We'd all watch that. Now watch this. But God said unto him, Thou fool. Very rarely God, throughout the word of God, calls anybody a fool. In fact, God even prohibits his children to address another child of God in that manner. The Bible says that whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. But there is no doubt in my mind that God called this man a fool. The Greek word is alphron. It means mindless or stupid. The Greek word that our Lord used when he looked at this fellow Now, he was not condemning him for being rich. He was not condemning the man for being industrial. He was not condemning him for his activity, for his his, uh, desire to have things. He condemned him because he put those things before God. Thou fool. Thou mindless individual. A strong word, Jesus. You stupid individual. Thou fool. Tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all those riches be? And now, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and not rich toward God. You know, you you just, you talk about the loving, gracious, gracious, loving God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place and knew everything about us, knew every thought that we have. And yet here in the text, our Lord uses this strong word to describe a certain individual. Now many times did the Lord use the word fool, but I remember in the Bible, in the book of Matthew 25, he referred to ten virgins. And he said to those, concerning those virgins, five was wise and do you remember what he called the other five? And five were foolish. Maybe he's trying to teach us something. 
Maybe he's trying to let us in on something. Then in Matthew 7, again, he uses these words when he says, there are two foundations. One is a rock, the other is sand. He that builds on the rock, he likened unto a wise man. But he who built upon the sand, he likened unto a foolish man. Could it be possible today that we're saved on our way to heaven, been washed in the blood of the Lamb, enjoying all the goodness of Almighty God, and still living a foolish lifestyle? Loving God all the time. Reading our Bible on a regular basis. Attending church. But yet, we act as though we don't know any better. We have so much that it is said that this age in which we live is the most affluent generation in all of them, all of human history. We have more cars than anybody in the world. We have better roads than anybody in the world. We have more televisions than anybody in the world. More cell phones than anybody in the world. More money than anybody in the world. Better houses than anybody in the world. And yet... How often do we thank God for what we have? Every good and perfect gift come of the Father from above where, of whom there is no variableness. I think maybe we are suffering from spiritual affluenza. We're blessed and don't know it. We've been the recipients of God's bucket of honey and are taking it for granted. And we're wanting more and more and more and more. And we're ruining our families. We're ruining our kids. We're ruining society because we want more. Well, we know what God thought of this fellow. God called him a fool. But I wonder if we went next door to the guy's house and asked his neighbor what he thinks of him. Probably this fella is the president of the last national bank. This fella probably has been speaking at the Full Gospel Businessmen Association. He's probably been speaking at uh, crusaders for Christ, cowboys for Christ, and coon hunters for Christ. This guy is the biggie of all the bigs. He is at the epitome of all humanity. Everybody wants their kids to be like the guy who has the gated house down the road that you can't get in because he has a key. This fella is probably the best spoken of individual in all the community. He is a hardworking man. He is probably honest, upright, respectable, and religiously one of the best citizens in all of the town. 
But what does God think of him? Now, the neighbors think he's all right. Everybody thinks he's in the know. In fact, most of the neighbors want their kids to go to school where he went to school and major in business administration. They don't want their kids to be preachers like Wolfenbarger. They want them to be like this guy. But God says, what a terrible thing for God to say, you are a fool. You are amongst the five foolish virgins. You have built your house on the shifting sands of this world. And when the winds of the economy begins to shift, then your house will fall. You are living a foolish lifestyle. You say, I didn't come to church to hear this. Well, you could have stayed home and watched it on television. If you're foolish enough. Why did God, why would God in 15 minutes or less, why would God call any man a fool? And yet, just flat out refuse to allow us to refer with one another in that kind of vernacular. Because if we do, the Bible says we're in danger of hellfire. Christians don't call other people fools, the Bible says. But yet God says this man is a fool. Now, I jotted down a couple of reasons, and I want to stay away from them as far as I can. God called this man a fool because, now watch this, he put himself before God. Notice verse 17. In the first place, the Bible says, and he thought within himself. He left God completely out of the picture. Thirteen times, this man uses the personal pronoun, I, me, or mine. Notice, this will I do. My barns are full. I have no place to bestow my goods. I will pull down my barns. I will say to my soul, his thinking is totally about and concerning himself. Do you know anybody like that? Know anybody that buys before they pray? And then they pray afterwards to take care of what they just bought? (laughs) Years ago when I was a foolish preacher, I used to talk about people buying a car with a turkey on the hood. Do you remember them cars with a turkey on the hood? Four on the floor, 456 rear end, two four barrels. 
Dempsey Wilson cam, roller cam. You remember any of that? And then he makes two payments and he realized the turkey's not on the hood, he's under the wheel. Can anybody say amen? Have you ever been guilty of that? My barns, my crops, my fruits, my, me, and mine. This man was not a fool because God had blessed him with riches. This man was not a fool because he could go down and pay cash. This man was not a fool because of his ingenuity and in his industrial He was a fool because he put himself before God. I think we're suffering for the same disease in America today. He forgot that they were not his barns. Because when he's gone, somebody else is going to own his barns. It was not his farm. Because it won't be long till he'll be gone. And somebody else will be on the deed to his farm. It's God's farm. It's God's earth. It's God's son. It's God's reign. It's God's given to fruition. And he forgot that the ground he used was God's. He forgot who supplied the rain. He forgot who hung the sun in the sky and held it there by the word of his power. He forgot all of that. And I'm afraid in America we have forgotten that it is God's and not ours. And God has lent it to us and God has been good to us to let us enjoy it. And we need to get off of this kick and maybe get rid of this dreaded disease that it's ours and we deserve it. No, we do not. We've been blessed and God is good and God is gracious and God loves us. Thank you, sir. You're the first guy I've said that in a long time. Of course, I pay you. That's probably why. We've forgotten that God gave him the health to work the fields. Daniel says that God holds our breath in his hand. We've forgotten that we've, if we live or die, it's all the Lord's. Acts seventeen twenty eight. for in him we live and move and have our being. God help us today. To realize where everything we got came from. This man had forgotten that with one swipe of the mighty hand of omnipotent God. That his farm could be gone. His home could be gone. His family could be gone. Everything could be gone. And he like Job would be sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But because of the grace of God he has the fruits of his labor. He needs to realize where they came from. You say, well, preacher, everything's all right at my house. That can change overnight. I was sitting on the porch the other day whenever that, the last rain we had. And I was sitting there and all of a sudden the wind started blowing and the trees started bending and hail started falling and I said to myself, self, you better find a hole somewhere. And self looked, and there wasn't no hole anywhere. I just sat there on the front porch, just me and God, and it all depended on him and not me. 
You ever been that way? Now, whether you like it or not, you're that way right now. We know better. We know who created all of this and upholds it by the word of his power. We know that we serve an omnipotent, almighty God. We realize that he's in control. When are we going to start living like it? That dreaded disease of influenza has got many of us also. Brother Sean, would you say amen? amen. Thank you, buddy. He put himself before God. And I think that's a common disease in today's world in which we live, don't you? Well, won't some of you say amen instead of looking at me like you're mad? Amen? I'm just trying to keep you from tearing down your barns and then have to go borrow money to build bigger ones. And then when the crop don't come in next year, you, all you got left is barns. <laughs> Can you say, well, God bless your heart. We're having a good time anyhow, amen. God called this man a fool because he put himself before God. He called him a fool, like that step. Somebody put a hole here. I stepped in a hole and almost fell. He called him a fool because he put his body before his soul. Hmm? What is your life? James said, it's just a vapor. That appears for a little while and it's gone. It's hard to believe that anybody is, as much energy as I have could be as old as I am. My wife does no longer ask me, are you hurting? She walks by and says, where? I respond with everywhere. You name it, we'll claim it. Amen. We spend a lot of time preparing for the body while neglecting the soul. You see, the soul needs food just like the body. The soul needs exercising just like the body. The soul needs cleansing just like the body. And I dare say if we spent one-tenth of the time nourishing, exercising, and cleansing the soul as we did, wiping, washing, blowing, stretching, shrinking, moving, flesh, we'd be the most spiritual folks in the world. Just think about it a minute. Picture 
of most men today is put the emphasis on the temporal while forgetting, not neglecting, but forgetting the eternal. He's a fool who thinks he can live and be happy from this world's table. Believe me, you should know that silver and gold and grain are not the food for the soul, but grace and mercy and forgiveness and peace. That's what nourishes the soul. Oh, please help me if you would please. The average person are spending all their time Striving for homes and lands and money and automobiles and things only to die and run off and leave that which they've killed themselves to obtain. I'm not saying it's not nice, not right to have things. I got, man, I'm a junkie. You go to my house, I, my garage is full of junk just like yours. And I like land. We got, my wife and family's got a, a ranch out west. It'd be nice to go out there, I suppose. It surprises us. We'd go out there and have four or five brand new cows. And they're grown. Thank God they don't have a brand on them. Yet. I like junk. My wife is so worldly, she got a 68 Camaro. It's okay to have junk. Just don't let junk have you. You understand that? God... God wants us to have things. God wants us to have the desires of our heart. But he does not want to clog the faucet to heaven with junk. And this man had put his body before his soul. And the words of our Lord Jesus has got to refrain throughout all eternity. What does it profit a man? If he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Five seconds in hell, everybody wants to be saved. Just a moment in the pits of the dam and everybody wants to be a soul winner and wants to go back and win their folks to Jesus Christ. Oh, Father Abraham, please let Lazarus go to my house because I have five brethren and I do not want them to come to this horrible place. Then what you need to do is straighten out right now and start winning them to Christ while you have the opportunity. And get your mind on the right thing. This man was a fool because put himself before God, he put his body before his soul, and he planned for life only. Yesterday, we had a funeral memorial service here in the auditorium. I scared the poor ladies to death. They came to my office, and, and they said, Preacher, we've never done this before. I said, Well, ma'am, I've only been doing it 50 years and this is my first. 
<laughs> she said, oh, we've come to the wrong place. It really wasn't my first. Do you know, I've buried a little bitty caskets. Do you know I buried medium-sized caskets? You know, I buried regular-sized caskets. It is appointed and the man wants to die. How much folly is it that we would prepare for life only and not prepare for death. Genesis chapter 5 starts out, and these are the generations of Adam. Adam begot Abel, and Abel lived so long, and he died. And the next generation, and he died. Till the end of the chapter, Methuselah lived 969 years, and he died. Do you know, it's going to be the testimony of everybody in this place. You're going to die. How foolish it is for anybody to prepare for living and not prepare for dying. Death is not only certain, a lot of times it's sudden. Are you ready? Surely you're not still suffering from that new disease of influenza. You don't know any better. No one's taught you any better. Yes, they have. Whatever you do, don't put yourself before God. Don't put your body before your soul. Don't just prepare for a living because we're all in the business of dying. Amen. Every time I go to my stylist, I go to a stylist. I should be going to a barber, but she gets mad if I call her a barber. Amen. She's really not a barber. She's a client. And I refer to her as my barber, but barbers, I guess, just take those sheep shearers. Huh? You're done. Five dollars, please. Well, wish you'd do mine for five dollars. There ain't nothing cheap about my stylist. Hey, just putting in a word now, Lord. And every time I go, I leave and I tell her, you've cut all the color out of my hair. <laughs> I go in there brown-headed, I mean looking good. I walk out gray-headed and bald. That just reminds me of an appointment I'm keeping. My hands hurt all the time. I shouldn't hit my wife in the mouth because she bit me the last time. But arthritis just kills me. Honest. 
I bathe them in everything from WD-40 to 100% lard. Lardy, that slick. But when they hurt, that just reminds me. I've got an appointment I'm about to keep. I sit a lot. You say, why? Because I'm lazy. When I stand up, my legs hurt me so bad. It's all I can do to keep from crying out loud. And sometimes if just me and my wife, I cry real loud because I want sympathy. Sympathy. She says, are you hurting? I said, yes. Terrible, terrible. But every time I do, it reminds me I've got an appointment to keep. Don't be foolish and just prepare for life. Prepare also for the time when you meet God. He was a fool because he planned for life only. And lastly, he is a fool because he lived for time and not eternity. There's no way in the world I would trade 50 years of preaching the gospel for anything this world has to offer. Nothing. Nothing. I know for sure I have baptized four generations in that fellow's family and possibly five. His grandfather has been on the mission field for now on 46, 47 years. His kids rode a church bus 40-some years ago. And I preached the gospel and they got saved. And daddy came and he got saved. And mama came and she got saved. All of that family has been influenced. Because somebody decided to live for eternity and not time. Not enough money in all this world to repay that. I'm now marrying grandkids that are married their grandparents. Somebody walked up to me this morning. I think it's Tracy Chick, only he's ugly enough to do this. And I was sitting back there enjoying myself, and he said, let me tell you how old you are. You led me to Christ 25 years ago. He left, and I said, well, I wish I'd have let him die and go to hell. (laughs) That last part was just supposition. I didn't say that really. How How do you buy that? What's that worth? Whatever you do. Let's not get caught up in this. Gimme, gimme, gimme. It's mine, mine, mine. And live for time and not eternity. I wish I had time. I'm I'm closing. I'm done. Preacher went over to a rich Texan's house to have dinner. And after dinner, 
the man of the house asked the preacher to go with him out on the back porch. And the rich Texan looked out over the horizon. He said, Preacher, as far as you can see, it's mine. He turned in the other direction and looked at all the cattle that was out on the range. And he said, Preacher, all those cows and all that land is mine. He turned to the east and he said, Preacher, see all those trees and all of that lumber and all of that beauty, all of that is mine. And of course he looked to the west and saw the beautiful streams and the high mountains And he said to the man, Preacher, all that is mine. What do you think? And the preacher laid his hand on his shoulder, took the other hand and pointed straight up and said, How much of that do you have? And the rich Texan hung his head begin to weep. Thou fool. Tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all those things be? I close. And so is he. That's what your Bible says. And so is he who layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I thought I'd just drop by today to stir your mind in the way of remembrance about who all this belongs to and from whence all of it came.